I want to encourage you, open up to John chapter 13. We are in our uh, Lenten series where we are looking at the, the final week of Christ's ministry and taking it day by day, what has happened each day. And just so that you know, this week and next week, we are doubling up on Thursday. Thursday is, uh, if you've read any of uh, John's gospel, you know that John is chuck full of a lot of things that happen on, in Christ's final, uh, this final Thursday. And uh, so today we're going to look at John 13. Uh, it's considered Maundy Thursday. For those of you uh, who are familiar with that term, it's, it's the day that Jesus washes the feet of his disciple. It's also the day that he goes out into the garden and he prays the high priestly prayer uh, for, for unity for his disciples because he's, he's soon going to be leaving this world. And so that's where we're going to be this week and next week. Um, and then, of course, Good Friday will be on Good Friday. So, join me. John 13, starting at verse 1, going through verse 20. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his, his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put, into, put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that, had come, and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is not completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed his, their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent, sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now 
before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives a one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to deal with this in uh, two different steps. The first thing is that I want to point to the the more upfront, the the more obvious, straightforward, what you see is what you get kind of meaning of John 13, 1 through 20. And second, I, I want to kind of go... Uh, go back and then point to a more under-the-surface, indirect, look-deeper kind of meaning of what is going on here. So we're going to start with the more obvious, wow, this is it's kind of hitting me in the face, and then we're going to kind of peel back a layer and go, oh, wow, here, here's a whole nother level of meaning. And what we're going to see in here is that in this whole section, and indeed almost all the rest of the Gospel of John, the banner of verse 1 is flying high over this, this whole event. Where Jesus says now, the, or John says, now the feast of the Passover had come. And, and Jesus, in this last hour, was getting ready to depart. He was getting ready to leave. And what did he do? Having loved his own, he wanted to Love them all the way to the end. That, that's this huge banner that is flying over this whole section. That Jesus now coming to the end of this, his life, knowing that his end is coming. He is resolute. He is going to the end. He is walking directly towards pain, towards the cross. Says, listen, having loved those who are in the world, who were given to him, he is going to love them all the way to the end. So, As Jesus' public ministry is coming to a close, John now turns to the last day of Jesus, the day before he dies, and he looks back and, and says, in all of his ministry, in all of his ministry life, Jesus has been showing this, this peculiar, special, saving, forgiving, patient, confirming, guiding love to those who are his own. It says in verse 1, the second half, having loved his own who were in, in the world. So this, this special people of his own, that's what he's been doing. And John looks forward from this point and says that Jesus will now love them to the very end. And he's not denying that, that Jesus loved the whole world. John three sixteen says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life it's not contradicting that God loved the world so much that he gave Jesus but he is talking about this unique absolute special love that Jesus has for his people it's a kind of love that a husband has for his wife a husband may love and care for his co-workers and the people around his neighborhood, but there is a love that is special and unique and reserved, especially for his wife. An intimate, endearing love. And having loved his own who were in the world, he, he loved them to the end. Everything that we see him doing new in chapter 13 is part of this amazing, rich, special love. 
And if you belong to Jesus, this morning, if you belong to Jesus, your heart is his, I want you to feel everything that he says and does here as if he said it to you and has done it for you in a very intentional, personal, and effective way. These words were not just for those, those disciples sitting around at this, this meal. But this is, these words, Jesus is saying, listen, I love you. And I'm going to express the same kind of love to you. Now, what does he do in these 20 verses? I think he, he is giving them an example of the kind of person they should be if they are to represent Jesus Christ. In the last verse of this section, verse 20, Jesus says this. What does he say? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one, the one that I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. In other words, when I send you out in my name, when I send you as my special, chosen, loved, beloved ones out in my name, with my authority and with my word, you represent me. You represent me in all that I am. And listen, If they, when you are sent out and you represent me in such a way that if someone welcomes you and welcomes the message that you share, if they welcome you, they also welcome me. And not only do they welcome me, but they are also, they also welcome the Father. And indeed, he becomes their Father as promised in in John 1, 12. To all who receive me, God has given the right to become children of God. That's how I planned it. You receive my representatives and receive my message. You receive me. You receive me. You receive the Father. You receive the Father. You become children of God. So realize this. Jesus is saying, realize this, my disciples. Realize this, Missy O'Day Church. I am preparing you and I am authorizing you for an unspeakably high calling. Unspeakably high calling. If someone receives you and the message that you share, if anyone receives you and welcomes this message of Jesus Christ, they receive God himself. There isn't a higher calling than to represent Jesus in this way. There is no higher calling in this life than this. That is where this passage is going to these these just absolutely climactic, weighty words. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. These are just absolute weighty words for even us to wrestle with this morning. What does it mean that when Jesus authorizes us and gives us this message to represent him in our neighborhood, in our world, in our workplace, what does it mean for us to live out in such a way that when we share the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, the hope of the world, when we share this, what does it mean? And they receive it? 
It means that they are receiving Christ. And they receive God the Father. And therefore they become children. It is a huge responsibility. It is a huge privilege. Now what kind of person ought we to be in order to carry out this high calling? And the answer is is absolutely crystal clear. The answer that lies on the surface for everyone to see on this first reading is this. They are to be the kind of person who goes low in humble service. Not the kind of person who is puffed up with their amazing rank and great privilege of his calling. That's the main point that Jesus is saying. Listen, the kind of person that is worthy of this calling, of representing me, is someone who goes low in humble service. Jesus is saying, I am giving you this spectacularly high standing as my representatives. The one who receives you receives God. That is an amazingly high responsibility. And I am showing you that the only people, the only people who qualify for this high standing are those who go low in humble service. So we could state the general point like this. Christians of high standing should give themselves gladly to lowly serving. Christians of high standing should give themselves gladly to lowly serving. I'll come back later to explain this this gladly section. It's here in the text, but I'll kind of give it to you more later. But the point is, is if God has called you to something high, as a child of God, one who's saved and redeemed, if he's called you to something high, our response is immediately to go low in service. Every Christian should go low. So let's watch Jesus make this, make this point in, a, in a, his acted out lesson. In verses 2 and 3, John describes how high Jesus really is. And the higher one is, it is often the case, the more embattlement that goes on, the more struggle that is going on. And you can see it here. During the supper, verses 2 and 3, during the supper when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. How many things? All things. He had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. This point here is that Jesus has the highest rank imaginable. All things, all things were put into his hands. And he had come from God and is going back to God. His rank is high. And because of his high ranking, did you notice There is a direct mention here that the devil had already put this thought of betraying Jesus deeply in Judas' heart. So we see Jesus, high calling, is doing something that is absolutely unimaginable. And then verse 4 describes how low he goes. From supper, he rose... 
And he put on his, he took aside his outside garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then now goes to verses 12 through 16 and Jesus gives a crystal clear explanation of what he was doing in washing the disciples' feet. He says, when he washed their feet and put back on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said, do you understand what I've done to you? Do you have any clue what, what, what just happened here? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for so I am. In other words, I have this high standing and high relationship to you. I am teacher and I am Lord. You are right in calling me that. And if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, if I from my high standing have washed your feet and I have gone low in serving, you also, you too ought to wash one another's feet. You should go low too. If I in my high standing have, have washed people's feet and I have gone low, so, so should you. So the picture is clear. Jesus is high in his rank. He's high in his value. And as post-cross, post-resurrection Christians, we know his value, don't we? Philippians 2 says this. Why don't you throw it up for me, Nathan? Philippians chapter 2 says this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the name above every other name. Just even at the name of Jesus, there's going to be a time when Jesus' name comes out, every knee will bow. Every knee. He's the name above every other name. He is worthy of all of our worship. He is it. There is no other name above Jesus. At his name, at his very name, every knee will bow. At his name, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So if this is his rank up here, he is the name above every other name. If he is it, and he has taken off his outer garments, poured water, and washed feet. He has this name above every other name, has gone th from this high to this low, so too should we. By ordinary standards of the world, Jesus should be the one to be served, right? He is worthy of it. This is, I'm going to give you something, not a plug for the Roman Catholic Church, but I got a tremendous amount of respect for the new Pope already. He is not one that is wanting all kinds of notoriety and pats on the back. In, in fact, he, he prefers to be a quiet man. He prefers to serve. We, in an even greater way, are called to serve, aren't we? If he is the name above every other name, and we, we call him Lord and teacher and master and savior. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. We, we do that already. How low should we go? How gladly should we do this? But what does Jesus do? He contradicts the ordinary standards of our whole world. 
and he serves. That's what Jesus does. He breaks the mold. He says, I want you to go low and I want you to serve. Because you have an example, a supreme example. Me. Now go. And then verse 15, he says, listen, I have given you an example that you should do this just as I have done to you. Since you are not above me, he says in verse 16, listen, since you're not above me, therefore you have no ground to say that my action does not apply to you. If I, as the, as the highest, have gone low, then you, the lower, from whatever high standing you think that you have, you should go low also. Now remember, he is trying to show them that the person who is qualified, who is suitable for this high calling of verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one sent. He's describing that person who is qualified. He said, I am going away. I am leaving. And you are about to become my representatives. My ambassadors on the earth to take my words, my salvation, my own presence. What is the church called? It's called the body of Christ. We are taking his own presence, his his message, his word, his presence into the world on his behalf. That's what we are doing. And if people receive you, they receive Christ. (laughs) Does that freak you out at all? Sometimes it scares the living daylights out of me. That my very presence in the world, if people receive me, and the message that I share, not just my actions, my words, because we know that the gospel has, is words. It is propositions. If you believe this and people know this, they are saved. That is where salvation comes from. It comes from words, not actions. But there is this beautiful combination, this marriage of our, our actions and our deeds that are married together. So that our very presence, my very presence, your very presence in the world, no matter where you are working, where you're living, your very presence, if they receive you and the message and your actions of Jesus Christ, your very presence, they receive Christ himself. Does that change then the way that you live and work in your neighborhoods? How you interact with people. Man, I am, I am, as an individual, the very presence of Christ in this neighborhood. My family is the very presence of Christ in this neighborhood. So if I am the very presence of Christ and he is of highest rank and he has gone low in serving, what is it that God is calling me to do and be in this neighborhood, in this workplace, in this world? I am to be like Christ. And I wanted to make the most clear that your fitness for this role is that you must be the kind of person who is gladly and willingly able to go low. You step down from your privileges of your high standing as a child of God, as one saved and redeemed, 
and you engage in lowly serving. Or to be more penetrating, let your whole life have this mindset that you are servants. All that you do, do it with this view of getting under people to lift them up, not getting over them to feel superior and like you have arrived. What did Jesus do in his coming? You read the beginning of Philippians chapter 2 where he says, Jesus, feeling that there's no need to remain with Father, what did he do? He came down and took on flesh and dwelt among us. For what purpose? Not lording it over people, but coming underneath and lifting people up and pointing them as he's lifting them to salvation. And that's our responsibility. So yes, you have an absolutely high calling, but no, you are not qualified for it. If you need to hold on to honors and prerogatives of rank and stature and look at me, I'm, I'm a Christian, look at you, pagan, you missed it. The only people suitable to represent Christ are the lowly, the humble, the servant-like, the self-denying. Kind of redefines what evangelicals should look like in this world, doesn't it? Many evangelicals are bat-swinging, out to get you, I'm right, you're wrong, and lacking the humility that is found in Christ. But what do we do with this Judas character who's kind of thrown in here? Verses 18 and 19. Jesus feels the need here to say something about Judas. And I'm not going to hang out here long, but I, I, I don't want you to miss it. If he is about to send out the 12, it seems, as his representatives, who are leaning and learning on Jesus uh, to be humble and servant-like, not boastful or selfish or greedy, then what, what do you do with this Judas character who's, who's thrown in here? Will he be sent out when Jesus is gone? Well, we as post-cross folks know that, no, he's not going to, but Jesus says this, I'm not speaking about all of you. Judas, just so you know, is in the room. We talked yesterday about the elephant in the room. This is Judas. He's the elephant in the room. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he, that I am. No, Judas doesn't contradict the point that those who Jesus sends as his representatives are to be lowly, humble, trustworthy servants. So you see, Judas is not, he's part of the 12, but he's not screwing up Jesus' plan. Jesus didn't slip up by choosing him, but instead, Jesus chose him so that scripture may be fulfilled. Jesus, in his full knowledge of all things, chose Judas to fulfill scripture. So that ultimately, when all these things have happened, the disciples go, he knew. He knew. This is God's plan. God designed it in all eternity. Jesus is God. And Jesus knew it when he choose, chose Judas. 
What blows me away about this, what blows me away about Jesus is that despite his full knowledge of Judas and his activity, what is going to be coming, that he is going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, a thousand bucks, that what does Jesus still do? He washes his feet. And I think about this and I go, if I was, and this just shows, you know, Jesus high ranking, Paul not getting it. But if I was Jesus, I'd be saying, screw you, buddy. Why don't you just go take care of it? I don't, I don't want to wash your feet. In fact, because of you, I am going to be betrayed and I am going to be strung up on a cross, crucified, pierced, my side pierced. I have every reason to be angry and bitter towards you. But yet, Christ washed his feet. And I think about my, my life and my perspective of people in my life who have hurt me and continue to hurt me. Jesus, with his high rank, went low in service and washed even the one's feet who was going to betray him. What does that mean? For you, your, your family, I know that we all, if we take a poll, we all have some messed up section, corner, sometimes bigger segments than others of our families, right? We've got a mother-in-law, a father-in-law, a whole in-law side of the family that is just messed up and have caused great hurt, great pain. Maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor that we just say, heck with you. And Jesus is saying, listen, no, 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 no. I have loved you with such a great love that I have served you first and foremost by serving you by giving my entire life for you. You want to talk about giving it all? I gave it all for you. In some way, I want you for those who have hurt you because, you know, Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for me. You've got a neighbor who is continuing to hurt, still maybe not saved. You, much like me, need to come and serve. And the most, so we got this most straightforward point of, the, of John 13, 1 through 20, that Jesus is giving his disciples an example of this, this high calling to be his representatives and to be fit for this high calling, we must be one who gladly goes low. And the reason why I say gladly here is because if you look in verse 17, Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you. And another, the word blessed here is the one that means glad, happy, joyful. If you realize what I'm saying, if you understand who I am, if you know how high I am and what a privilege it is to be called high to represent me and led down low to serve with me, you will be glad. There should be deep joy, gratitude, love, adoration in doing this service. And by going low, it's like, oh, I joyfully do it. You will find the, de- listen to this, you will find the deepest 
joys in life, the deepest joys in life are not when people are praising your status, patting you on the back and saying, way to go. You are absolutely amazing. I knew you could do this. You're a great person. But your greatest, deepest joys in life are when people are helped by you in your service. I'm not sure we believe that. We'd rather have the former where we get, way to go. Way to go. You're amazing. I know. Way to go. But rather, if you really think about it, the times that are most stick out in your head is when you have gone deep and down and low and served those in need. As Christ has served you, you do it willingly and joyfully, and you are blessed because of it. And those are the times where I go, I could tell you about a time. I could tell you about a time. I could tell you about, oh, another time when we went and helped, or I went and did this, or we did this. We, I had the opportunity to serve and help. Those are some of the most formative opportunities that bring us joy. They may be difficult, but that is where our deepest joy and blessing is found. In fact, I've wondered if this, this verse 17 might be the place where Paul is quoting in, in Acts 20, 35, when he said, remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he said himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's the same word for blessed. Happy, joyful, gratifying. And both say going down low and serving others and giving yourself to them for their good is the most deep, joyful, profound, satisfying life. So that's the upfront on the surface kind of obvious point of the passage that Christians of high standing should give themselves gladly to lowly serving or to be the kind of people who gladly go low. And that's, that's who we are to be as a church, gathered and scattered. Whenever we come together, we are looking for opportunities to go deep in our service for one another and for this world. We gladly go deep and look for, our, our eyes are wide open looking for opportunities. How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I go deep? I don't, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. In fact, I, I'd prefer to be as a servant kind of be back behind the scenes and looking for an opportunity to deeply love you. That's what we do when we gather and as we go out into the world, whether it be as missional communities, whether it be as families, whether it be as friends or as individuals, we are called to a high standard, a high calling to go low and to do it gladly. Now, the last thing I want to do is ask, is there another level of meaning of this acted out lesson of humility and servanthood? Is there something else going on here that we've missed? And if you've been watching what I've been focusing on in, in the scripture, you've probably noticed that I have not said anything about verses 6 through 11. The part of the story where Peter throws a hissy fit, tip, kind of stereotypical Peter, kind of throws this fit about Jesus washing his feet. And that's where I see just a whole nother level of stuff going on. 
Keep up to my, in mind that up to this point, the general point is, is if you have a high standing as a Christian, as you do, you are only fit for it if you go low in service. If that's you and you're humble and you see all of your life as an effort to get underneath people and lift them up rather than get over them and show your power and get their praise, you've got it. Foot washing is simply an illustration of a big principle of humble servants for others. But what goes on here in 6 through 11? Peter is objecting to Jesus' role as a servant and washing his feet. So what does Jesus do with his objection? That is the second level of meaning. He says, he came to Simon Peter, and, and you can kind of picture this if you, got, you know enough about Simon Peter. Kind of the self-proclaimed, the big guy in the room who knows everything, how it all should be, kind of showing everybody the way. The one who often needs to be corrected, put back. You know, Jesus even said, get behind me, Satan. You, Satan, behind me. And here Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Seriously? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. You'll get it. It's kind of this, can you hear Jesus just saying, Peter, let's not make a big deal about it. You, you might not understand now, but someday after I'm gone, it's going to go off in technicolor. You're going to get it in full technicolor picture. But Peter said, what did he say? You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, listen, if, if I don't wash your feet, you will have no share in me. Okay, that's, that's a kick in the pants. All right, you going to play that way? Listen, if I don't wash you, you will have no part in me. Do you get it? And then Peter overreacts, and what does he say? Oh, well, if that's the case, then wash my head, wash my hands, wash my feet. Some, some uh, commentaries basically say, Peter is saying, dude, strip me down and give me a bath right here. Give me a full washing. If, if that's the case, wash me totally. So the head, hands, feet is like the, in totality, wash me. And Peter, Peter said, you shall never wash me. And Jesus could have just said, Peter, if I don't wash you, my acted out love lesson is not going to work. Listen, come on, it's just a, just a picture. So just be quiet and cooperate. But that's not what Jesus said. He blows us away at the end of verse 8 and said, if I don't wash you, you have no share. In other words, if I don't wash your feet, you are in the same class as Judas. You are not mine. This is mind-boggling that Jesus would raise the stake so high over mere foot washing. Well, of course he's not doing that. But it seems like it, right? The foot washing stands for something. This is a new level of meaning. Why would Peter not even belong to Jesus if he doesn't wash his feet? Peter says in verse 9, as we can imagine he, he would, Lord, not only wash my, my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says in verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. But not every one of you. 
where he knew was going to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. So Judas is not clean. But the 11 are. They have bathed. They are clean. That is, they're born again. They have believed on Jesus. They have eternal life. They have passed from death to life. They have become sons of life. They become children of God. They are his sheep and no one can pluck them out of his hands. They will not and cannot ever be lost. They are secure in his hands and that includes Peter. Only Judas is excluded in verse 10. Peter is clean, completely clean. And in the words of Paul, justified. You have a right standing before God because of the work of Jesus Christ. You have believed with the eyes of faith. So what did Jesus mean in verse 8? That if I don't wash you, you will have no share with me? My conviction is when a person believes in Jesus, he or she is completely cleansed. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you believe in his complete work, you are completely cleansed, inside out, up and down, every which way. You are completely cleaned. Clean before God. And Jesus says in verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Except for his feet. But is completely clean. The repeated washing of the feet represents, I believe, represents the daily confession of our sin. And turning to Jesus for the ongoing application of what was accomplished at the cross. Our cleansing and our forgiveness. That's exactly what John taught in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What Peter missed was that he failed to realize that although he was completely clean because he believed in Jesus Christ, he was a child of God, he was redeemed, he was, he was safe and secure as one of his sheep, he missed that even though he was justified and new in Christ, that his sins needed daily confession and daily forgiveness. Daily spiritual foot washing the once and for all purchase of his sins needs daily application. And the same is true for those of us who are in Christ. It's not just a once and for all transaction and that we say, oh, it's done. I got my fire insurance. We daily need confession. Daily need confession. And we daily need his forgiveness. Yes, our our position is safe and secure once and for all, never lost. We're in, but as Christians who who have been saved and enjoy our newfound place in, 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 in God's kingdom, we need the daily application of forgiveness. We need, daily need to be confessing our sins to one another and say, I, I have 
I've screwed up again. I have not served you. I've talked badly about you. I've done this. I've hurt you. I have not loved you well. I need to confess that. God, um, you know my idols. You know I have lust issues. You know I have pride issues. You know I have this issues. I have that issues. I have all these things that are going on. God, I confess again. And what does God do? He applies his forgiveness because he's faithful and just to forgive us. That's the, that's the journey of sanctification, becoming holy. That it's an ongoing journey. And if we say, keep on saying that we don't need the daily application and we don't want it, and our lives are not showing the fruit of that, then we show that we have not been saved. That we have not been completely cleansed. You really are completely clean, Peter. Do you get it? You're completely clean. But the mark of a completely clean disciple is that they hate their daily shortcomings. Hate them. Hate their daily shortcomings and come to Christ for daily cleansing. That's what happens. So the second meaning of this acted out lesson is this. Representatives of Jesus Christ then and today should go low in hum- with humility and service, not because Jesus did and not only because it is the most deep, meaningful way of, of life, but also because they are completely clean. The reason that we go out and serve is not just, uh, we're we're just following an amazing role model. Jesus is a great role model. He's more than a great role model. Yes, he's one to emulate, but the reason that we go and serve, gladly serve others, that we go low and we drop everything to serve one another is not just because Jesus is a role model. We do it because it is a deep form of worship. We've been completely cleaned. And we recognize that we are continuously being forgiven. We recognize his grace again today. His grace is sufficient for today. His mercies are new. How often? Every morning. And so that was that do that plummets us joyfully to service because we know the depths that our Savior went to reach for us and we do it out of gratitude we do it out of joy because it has been done for us we serve because we've been saved we don't serve just because it is an example we serve and we go low because we have been saved So I would close by saying that, simply saying that all believers, I don't care where you are in your journey, all believers who have this amazing standing as as children of God and representatives of Jesus, all of us, wherever you are in your walk with Jesus Christ, if you have been saved and you have this amazing standing because Jesus went low and because going low is a path of joy and because you are completely clean, 
Don't exalt yourself. Don't put yourself up here. But go low. So I say this to myself. Pastor, go low. I'd say it to our elder Nathan, but he's, he's already going low by serving this morning at Manitoba. Say, Nathan, elder, go low. Deacons, go low in serving. Missional community leaders, go low. Presidents of companies, owners, supervisors, managers, go low. Moms, dads, go low. Heads of the households, go low in your serving. Brothers and sisters, go low. A students, go low. Good athletes, go low. Christians, go low. Represent your Savior to know His joy and because you are completely clean, go low.